everybody, and welcome to the June 9th, 2020 edition of Peaceful Globalist Review. I am your host, the Peaceful Globalist, Ephraim Josine. And ladies and gentlemen, when the president first declared Antifa a terrorist organization, I disagreed with it. I really did. But you know what? Over the past couple of days, I've come to the conclusion he's right. Because Antifa actually has a lot in common with real terrorist organizations. Most notably, they're blown out of proportion and used as an excuse to curb our civil liberties. Hey, anyone remember the Unmasked Antifa Act, which would make it illegal on a federal level to wear masks in public? Which, by the way, is probably also an abuse of the Tenth Amendment. That's a different story entirely. And, of course, if you wanted to donate money anonymously to any of the politicians who sponsored the Unmasked Antifa Act, well, that's your First Amendment right. On June 4th, 2020, a video came out revealing several police officers shoving a 75-year-old man named Martin Gingo. Some of these police officers, by the way, had taken a knee in solidarity with the protesters over the death of George Floyd a day earlier. Not making that up. This morning, the president tweeted the following. Buffalo protesters shoved by police could be an Antifa provocateur. 75-year-old Martin Gingo was pushed away after appearing to scan police communications in order to black out the equipment at One American News Network. That, of course, being the extremely partisan, hyper-far-right news network. And side note, Gingo in the video used a flip phone. Those can't scan anything. Does the president know how cell phones actually work? I mean, I get he uses an iPhone, but you'd think he'd have at least some understanding of any previous cell phone generation model, especially considering he himself is over 70 years old. I mean, does this guy honestly just think that all phones were iPhones? But but okay, okay. The president has the understanding of an iPhone as a 12-year-old, or of the history of cell phones as a 12-year-old does. I watched, he fell harder than was pushed, maybe because he was an old man. Was aiming scanner, could be a setup. By the way, I attempted to actually find this claim in the form of an article on the One America News Network website. Searching in Martin Gungo at time of recording gives you nothing. Nothing. Um, looks like you had to have been watching at the right time to see it. Hey, I don't blame him. I wouldn't want that claim fact-checked either. For the record, actually doing any amount of research that has come out, not even since that tweet, but beforehand, found that Gungo was a Catholic peace activist. Yes, a 75-year-old Catholic peace activist. That is the big Antifa's cover-up. Really? I mean, really? <laughs> That's the big terrorist organization, Antifa, the biggest one right now, the radical left, hiring 75-year-old peace activists to smash their heads in against pavement to make police officers look bad, I guess. I mean, you just can't make this up. You honestly cannot make this up. This is, by its nature, a total nonsensical farce. I mean, yeah, he's to the left politically, but that, that doesn't make him a terrorist. And you know what? Where are all the... I, I know I'm beating a dead horse when I talk about this, 
because I've also talked about it so many times. But where are all the people who say we're more divided than ever regarding that comment? Regarding the comment that a 75-year-old peace activist is actually part of what the president considers to be a terrorist organization who plans on setting up police officers. That's not causing division? That, that's not causing any division? No, because the people who say we're more divided than ever are in usually Trump supporters who are just angry people keep talking. That's what it comes down to. Whenever you hear anyone say we're more divided than ever, I want you to realize that person has a political bend and is almost always simply angry or challenging it. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And by the way, you know all these riots going on right now? I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. Those riots are going to end, and then in less than two weeks, there will still be articles claiming that now, specifically, we're more divided than ever. I mean, that's what always seems to happen. That's what always seems to happen. We're more divided than ever. It's a zombie chant. It is a zombie chant, usually said by people who don't want you to think about actual policy, but just want to hold hands with you while they trick you into signing over your civil liberties. I mean, that's what's really going on right now. This is just the latest example of it. This is honestly just the latest example of it. And if anybody talks about the vision, it's going to be in relation to the reaction to this tweet and not because of the tweet itself. And that's why I decided to talk about this, because honestly... Where are all the articles saying this is dividing us? They exist in every other circumstance. Anybody can have any reaction, and all of a sudden it's dividing us more than ever. But whoever actually causes that reaction is never at fault. And it's honestly infuriating. It is completely atrocious. Anyone who writes these articles about us being more divided than ever should be fired immediately. That's how far I'm going. I'm done with that. I am honestly done with that. And if you continue to write these articles day after day, you are a bad human being. That's how I feel about it. You are a bad human being. I don't care about you anymore. I have no sympathy for you. None. You just want us to shut up and say whatever and believe whatever you tell us. And if we disagree, you're the vision. Oh my God, the vision. Hell, I can point to tons of countries that are unified. North Korea is pretty unified. Soviet Union was pretty unified under Stalin. Saddam Hussein seemed to unite Iraq, considering like 100% of them voted for him. But, oh my god, that's a... This just infuriates me. This just infuriates me. Anyway, here's a headline from The Hill. Gun Control Group rolls out first round of Senate endorsements. Every town for gun safety on Tuesday, that's today, rolled out its first round of Senate endorsements ahead of November's crucial general election. The gun control advocacy group threw its support behind 11 Democrat Senate candidates, including Mark Kelly in Arizona, John Hickenlooper in Colorado, Theresa Greenfield in Iowa, Sarah Gidden in Maine, Representative Ben Ray Lugin in New Mexico, Cal Cunningham in North Carolina, Jamie Harrison in South Carolina, and M.J. Hager in Texas. The endorsement of Gidden is particularly notable given the group endorsed incumbent Republican Susan Collins, Democrat. Did they just... Wait, is... Uh, the Hill? You list Susan Collins as a Democrat? 
And if they say Republican Senator Susan Collins, Democrat Maine <laughs> in 2014, uh, you guys made a bit of an error. Whoops. That's, that's not even what I came here to talk about. So basically, whenever we do not get a gun control measure in this country, and I remember especially seeing this after Parkland, we saw all these representatives were being bought and sold for by the NRA. In truth, by the way, the NRA is controlled by the Republican Party. The NRA doesn't control itself in, all, in truth. Okay? The NRA is just a branch of the RNC. Anyone who thinks the NRA is buying out RNC politicians don't understand the relationship between the two. However, how many of them, how many of the big money in politics people do you think we are going to see called this out? The fact that a gun control group is endorsing candidates, trying to influence our elections, you know, like all special interest groups attempt to do. Is anyone ever going to talk about that? I don't think so, besides me, of course, and that's just to point out that nobody is talking about it. And I have no issue, by the way, with gun control groups doing this. I disagree with it, but I don't have an issue with it. However, the issue I do have with is hypocrisy. And the fact is, whenever a gun control legislation fails, the first response of the left and of gun control advocates is to blame the National Rifle Association. Despite the fact that, again, the National Rifle Association couldn't control its own hand. Like, let's be real here. They're a shill group for the Republican Party. Okay? Nothing else at this point. Donating to them is just donating to the Republican Party. And everybody knows that. There is not a single person who does not know that at this point. However, when it comes the other way around, and I don't just mean with labor unions or Planned Parenthood or topics like that. Okay? Because those types of legislations rarely ever go through Congress. We never really see abortion bills that often, compared to when we see gun control bills. Where after every mass shooting, there seems to be a gun control bill. Um, we never see any sort of reaction when gun control groups, like this one, like Every Town for Gun Safety, do the exact same thing as the NRA. And we've covered a different gun control group doing the exact same thing, spending millions of dollars for the Senate election in Arizona just this year. That was the same, that wasn't the same group, mind you, that was a very, that was a different group. So, what we are seeing, and there's only one NRA, by the way, only one NRA, tons of gun control groups. There are a few other pro-gun groups out there, I know there's the Concealed Carry Association, and Citizens for Gun Ownership, or whatever they're called, the sort of more libertarian brand. Uh, the people who aren't just shills. Uh, but the point is, there's only one major anti-gun control group in the United States. It's not even always anti-gun control, by the way. The NRA did not oppose a single form of gun control until 1994, when Clinton banned assault weapons. It supported every single one up until then. They didn't even really get political until the 90s. Uh... However, the point is, there's only one major anti-gun control group, and we hear consistently about how they're buying our politicians, about how they're ruining this country, about how if it wasn't for them, 
we could just get background checks despite the fact we already have background checks. And we could just get assault weapons banned despite the fact that we had assault weapons banned for a decade. And crime has only continued to decline since the gun weapons ban. And by the way, there's a little trick that gun control advocates like to use. I'm going to call it out right now. And I see this every now and again. I especially saw it after a few of the more recent mass shootings where they post numbers about mass shooting rates. That's not what you want to look at. Okay, if one mass shooting happens and it kills 100 people, that's like the biggest mass shooting in all of history. That's 100 people dead. Now, if that's the only shooting in a year, that's 100 people dead in a year. Barely if one person is shot every single day, that's three times the amount of people dead and would be dead and died in the biggest mass shooting I just made up. Um, mass shootings have gone up since the assault weapons ban. Overall murders have gone down. Overall crimes have gone down, and guns have been proven to, be, to save about three million lives every single year. Seriously, that's... I think about a percent of the population. Yeah, that, that's roughly a percent of the population saved every single year. That was Obama's CDC that found that. You never hear about that. You only hear about how there's this group called the NRA that apparently brainwashes people who run on pro-gun platforms to being pro-gun or something. And that's why we still have assault weapons and AR-15s. And AK and fully semi-automatic weapons. <laughs> Kat Kerr is a dedicated Christian today, prophetess as she calls herself. Uh, I first read about this clip from Right Wing Watch, and I just thought it would be a normal, oh, evangelical Christian says something crazy while also loving Donald Trump clip. I laughed hysterically at this, and I need to share it with you guys. Just, just watch. As a child of the living God, as a child of the living God, I will not tolerate, I will not tolerate operations of witchcraft or sorcery, operations of witchcraft or sorcery coming against our president, coming against our president who was chosen by God, who was chosen by God. We declare, we declare their words. Their words will become like dust. Will become like dust. Their actions, their actions will be unfruitful. Will be unfruitful. They will waste their time. They will waste their time. And nothing, and nothing will come out of their meeting tonight. Will come out of their meeting tonight. The moon does not belong to them. The moon does not belong. But to belongs them. to the living God. But belongs to the living God. The moon was made for us on earth. The moon was made for us on earth to be light in the night. To be light in the night. For the record, I have no idea who the other woman is. Repeating their their words. Uh, I love that touch, by the way. Their words. She made sure to stop and, like, hit something. And side note, if you actually watch the video, her head looks like, her hair looks like it's made out of cotton candy. I'm sorry, but that's what it reminds me of. It reminds me of Stephanie from Lazy Town as well. Did anybody here watch that show? Um, but that's all besides the point behind, besides just the absolute greatness of the phrase, the moon does not belong to them. It belongs to us. <laughs> when I first heard that, I legitimately just started laughing hysterically. Cat, they're not trying to take the moon from you. 
Don't worry! And I only ever highlight these stories, by the way. Partly just for some levity, partly because... Just to remind you guys, these people do vote, and their vote could count for the same or less than your vote. And in part because it's just too funny not to show someone. Uh, so, Cat, do not worry. They aren't trying to take the mo- Wait a minute. Oh no! We found witchcraft! In the form of chowder! He took the moon! He took the sun! He took everything that seems like fun! Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> oh no! The moon will rise again! Anyway, uh, this is a story that came out a few days ago. This is from ProPublica. That I feel like I just want to point out, this is also in part why I showed you guys the Cat uh, Karen story just a few minutes ago. That might not have even been her name. I've already forgotten her name. That's how stupid it was. <laughs> because these kind of people are in the administration. New Trump appointee to foreign aid agency has announced liberal democracy and, quote, our homo empire. I absolutely love that phrase, our homo empire. Not a normal empire, a homo one. <laughs> Just, okay. And this from ProPublica. It's a little old. It's about half a week old, but not enough people are talking about it. A new Trump appointee to the United States Foreign Aid Agency has a history of online posting denouncing liberal democracy and has said that the country is in the clutches of a, quote, homo empire that pushes a, quote, tyrannical LGBT agenda. In one post, Marin, Merit Corrigan, that's her name, who recently took up a position as a Deputy White House license at the U.S. Agency for International Development, wrote, quote, Liberal democracy is little more for a front than the war being waged against us by those who fundamentally despise not only our way of life, but life itself. Um, wow, that sounds exactly like something So Harbarami would write. <laughs> By the way, her Twitter is now completely privated. I'm not making that up. It's completely private because she did not want anyone to see this. Uh, but here are some more quotes from her that I, I use totally should not share around, by the way. Because she doesn't want you to see it, therefore you just shouldn't see it. Okay? Public Twitters are created by people who hate our way of life. Whatever that means, side note. What is our way of life, exactly? As a phrase that's always thrown around by weird reactionaries, but is never actually defined. You guys ever notice that? What, what exactly counts as our way of life? Because let me tell you, their way of life they want our way of life to be is not my way of life. It's not how I want it to be. Not how a good amount of the population want it to be. But they are probably brainwashed by Jews. I'm sorry, can't say Jews. You can't say Jews. Uh, you can say anything implying Jews. You just can't say Jews anymore. That's why. <laughs> yeah, it's just a farce, okay, by rich, Greedy people who manipulate you have giant noses and tiny hats and okay, okay, can't can't go that far, obviously. 
That's you can you just have to imply. You just have to very heavily imply it. I'm sorry, guys. I forgot. <laughs> I mean, you can't make this up. You really can't. Uh, Politico reported last year that Corrigan wrote on her Twitter account that, quote, our homo empire couldn't tolerate even one commercial enterprise, not in full submission to the tyrannical LGBT agenda. I'm going to assume, I don't know how true that is, I'm going to assume that's in response to Chick-fil-A canceling um, the donation to the Salvation Army, which, side note, didn't happen because the Salvation Army was run by Christians. It happened because the Salvation Army was taking money that was supposed to go to homeless people and using it to lobby against gay marriage. And they had been doing that, by the way, for years. It was an open secret for years. And nobody punished them for it. That was money that was supposed to go to feeding homeless people, went to stopping gay people from getting married. That's what the Salvation Army was. Yeah, I wouldn't fund them either. I have been funding them for years because of that. Because of that. And if you want to be an anti-LGBT organization, that's fine. Okay? Uh, don't expect me to fund you and don't lie about it. Those are my only two requirements. In October, Corrigan wrote not bad for the conservative woman, Wonder Where They Lean, a, a London publication decrying, quote, the false song of feminism and calling women to take up traditional roles of mother, wife, and homemaker. Uh, here's what she said. A woman today is expected by society to come to marriage and motherhood in physical and spiritual decline, if ever. What does that sentence even mean? This is the life women have been offered by those who would rather us tell or toll away as isolated economic units for faceless corporations. Oh my god, I hate this kind of pretentious nonsense. I really do. They want us to, they want people to be just economic units. Oh, shut up. I'm sorry, but that is the exact same point philosophers, giant quotes, have been saying for centuries, in all honesty, and it's always been equally pretentious. That's how I view it. It's pretentious. It's this idea that everyone you interact with has to specifically care about you. Okay? No. No, not everyone you interact with has to care about you specifically. I'm sorry, they don't. You expect them to, you're delusional and narcissistic, far as I'm concerned. I, I do not take these arguments seriously. I really don't. Oh, corporations just want people to be economic units. Yeah, you, you don't say. That's kind of their point in society. Okay? Corporations, these are the same people who, by the way, say, well, the economy isn't everything. Meanwhile, they want the economy to be specifically designed to cater to them. And side note, do, do you think that someone like this is taking up traditional roles by being an ambassador to a major foreign organization? She was previously the ambassador to, I'm going to see which country. She previously worked as an ambassador to give me to Hungary. That's the one. 
Was that the traditional role of women? That in the Bible somewhere? Women shall only work if they're ambassadors to Hungary. <laughs> I mean, that's just nonsensical. Honestly, these people are walking contradictions. I remember I saw, I mentioned Sohar Barami earlier. Remember I saw a tweet from him once. And mind you, Arami is a prestigious New York Post editor. I believe he was still working for the Wall Street Journal at this point. And a best-selling author. And he said something like, My wife can't take maternity leave because her high-level position, I guess she's on like a board of an important company, keeps calling her and forcing her to work. Liberalism is stinky or something like that. You're loaded. You have the money to, like, five people could live off of. If you really believe in this traditionalist ideology, why don't you, like, actually start living by it? you ever considered that? I mean, some people who these people claim to be fighting for do actually have to have both, both parents working. And we can talk about that. So Harbarami is not one of those people. Is he he only needs to work to make ends meet. I'm sorry. If the New York Post, if being an editor for the New York Post is not making you enough to make ends meet, you're just bad with money. You are objectively just bad with money. Or you're just an idiot. Or you're a raging hypocrite like So Harbarami is. Because, of course, he is. And these are the people, by the way, who are even allowed in politics. Like, it's one thing if they're elected to low-level state governments, okay, or low-level positions in state governments where they don't have any power, where they can just feel important all day. You know, that that's fine, okay? I don't care. But when they're appointed to federal positions, people like this should not be allowed in federal positions. People who hate the entire concept of enlightenment values should not be allowed in politics. End of conversation. I'm sorry, they shouldn't. People like this should not be allowed to have roles in politics. They should be forced to the backwaters of society, writing books nobody reads. Writing self-published books on Amazon that nobody actually reads. I mean, I think that's perfectly fair. If you reject the entire concept of Enlightenment values which founded this nation, at the very least, I expect you to not have any role in government ever. Okay? Go live off the grid. Go live off the grid. I don't care. Just do not have any role in a, in a system you despise so much. That is my main hope for people like this. I mean, I'm sorry, but that's what it comes down to. Either you should not be allowed in government, or you should accept enlightenment values. And I have no issue with enforcing that. None. I, I, I believe that's a very simple test. Like, pathetically simple, and if you fail it, maybe you're just a bad person. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for another Elliot Angles update. I know, I, I keep going after him. I keep going after him, but it seems like 
every day, his campaign becomes even more pathetic. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. His campaign is even sadder than Chris Kovac. I didn't think I could say that, but I had to say that. I mean, wow. Just wow. This is from Politico. Schumer holds off endorsing Elliot Angle. Now, why is that important? Besides the fact the New York Center hasn't endorsed uh, the New York Democrats. Well... Embattled New York Representative Elliot Angle claimed Chuck Schumer supports him, but Schumer isn't on the same page. Angle, who is facing a tough primary, claims on his campaign website that Senate Minority Leader backs his re-election campaign. But Schumer says Tuesday he has not yet endorsed the congressman. I haven't endorsed it in this race, Schumer told reporters. I'm busy with Senate races. <laughs> <laughs> Elliot, someone cool will endorse you. Don't worry. Don't worry. How long until on his website you can just he just starts listing cool people who endorse me and it's like a put in your name thing. I will, if you do that, Elliot, I will sign it. I'll then make fun of you for accepting it. I mean, just, oh my god. Oh my god. The saga of Elliot Angle, everyone. Just 16 terms in the house. 16 terms in the house. I cannot stress that enough. And this is how it ends. This is how it could end. 32 years in the house, and he loses to a guy who no one had heard of just a few weeks ago. And mind you, I'm not, like, trying to find these stories. Okay, I know this is our fifth Elliot Angle story this month. We're only nine days into the month. But I'm not trying to find these. I'm not getting them sent to me either. I just, like, browsed Twitter for a couple of minutes, and there's a new Elliot Angle story. And it's so pathetic. I have to talk about it. Honestly. I mean, let's review. Let's review what he's done so far. Okay, this is all in the month of June, might I add. Just looking through the records on this podcast. I got this by literally typing in angle into uh, Anchor, which is how I distribute this podcast. We have him saying he only cares about the Jared Floyd or George Floyd protest because he has a primary. Him refusing to seek the New York Times endorsement, which didn't help his campaign. Him getting a million, or his opponent getting a million dollars in donations. And now him saying AOC thinks she's a dictator because she endorsed somebody else. Just, you cannot make this up, Elliot. Oh my god, Elliot. Oh my god. Elliot, you're gonna lose. You are going to lose. You have to know that at this point. You have to realize that beyond a shadow of a doubt at this point. That yes, you are a loser. You lose, Elliot Angle. You, you lose. There's no way around it. I mean, oh my god. I can't even, like, use the words 
to des to describe the absolute embarrassment I feel being on the same planet as Elliot Angle. I really can't. I really can't. You're a future loser. You are a future loser. Just like Jeff Sessions, you are no different in my mind. We we know you're going to lose. That's why you're flailing in the wind so badly. There's no way around it. None. Anyway, press secretary uh, McAnnie was recently asked about the controversy between Mitt Romney and Donald Trump. Mitt Romney going on the George Floyd protest. And I talked about this yesterday. I think it's a show. I think it's worthless. She, however, said some... Just, just listen. Kelly, does he agree in general the way that Mitt Romney stated over the weekend he does with the core message of Black Lives Matter? Yeah, Mitt Romney um, can say three words outside on Pennsylvania Avenue, um, but I would note this, that President Trump won 8% of the black vote. Mitt Romney won 2% of the black vote. I believe President Trump, um, people across the country recognize that while Mitt Romney has a lot of words, notably he said that 47% of the nation is dependent upon government, believes they are victims, believes that the government has a responsibility to care for them. Those were Mitt Romney's words not too long ago. The president takes great offense to those words. That's not America. Guess what America is? It's when given opportunity via a Trump opportunity zone, belief that Americans of all races can rise to the occasion and achieve, belief in HBCUs and giving funding, funding record funding to HBCUs, um, because we need to enable ed education in our country and school choice. Those kind of actions on the part of the president stand in stark contrast with the very empty words of Senator Romney. Yes. Thank you, Kaylin. Um, you uh, okay, several issues. First off, Romney did not win 2% of the black vote. He won 6% of the black vote. I know that's still not much, but when talking about small numbers, that's a lot. That's you were off by a th by three times what it actually was. It's three times higher than you said it was, so that's just a lie. And for that matter, yeah, I was making fun of the Moocher's comment just yesterday, so you guys know I don't think Romney's rehabilitated. But first off, the comment wasn't a race thing. Let's just get that out of the way. The weird implication that Romney was saying that black people were dependent on the government specifically, no, that doesn't make any sense. He said 47% of the population were. By the way, that number came from the amount of Americans who weren't paying income tax. Hence why he said a little bit later in the same dinner something along the lines of, well, they aren't interested in our message of no tax of lower taxes because they aren't paying any taxes anyway. But African Americans make up fourteen percent of the population. Romney says forty-seven percent uh, are moochers, which which is what he said, by the way. I'm not going to defend that. Where's the others? 33%. What happened to them? Where are they? Even if we count non-white Americans, white Americans are only 60% of the population doing basic math. 40% are non-white. 
Where's the last 7%? Where is the last 7%? Do you know how numbers work? Like, the comment was awful. In every way, it was awful. It didn't cost Romney the election, by the way. That's a complete myth. Everyone offended by that comment wasn't voting for Romney anyway. Just, just getting that off my chest. But it was awful. So... What? It wasn't racist, though. Like, it was just him being a dick. Rodney was a dick. And for that matter, the whole controversy came from a combination of just that being a disgusting statement and also being hypocritical because Romney, his own father, took welfare benefits. Um, His father, George Romney. At least I think it was, yeah, it was George what, was it George Romney? It was someone in his family, I forget exactly who, I want to say his father, but don't quote me on that, took welfare benefits. And for that matter, him doing this whole working class shtick where he'd go out to rallies with jeans on, talking about how he's also unemployed at the moment. He actually said it in a rally for a bunch of unemployed workers in, I think it was Michigan? Might have been Pennsylvania. Um, that was the issue, that Romney was pretending to be a man of the working class instead of saying, hey, I've built several successful businesses. Meanwhile, this guy, this community organizer from Chicago, has failed to fix the economy like he said he would. He would put on jeans and talk about how he was your average Joe. No, nobody liked that. And that was honestly the main issue there. If Romney had just said he was an elitist from the start, no one would have cared. It would have just been Romney being Romney. Probably wouldn't have won, but it would have just been Romney being Romney. But let's actually talk about the substance of what that was meaning. Because we all know that comment was primarily intended to insult welfare users. Okay? So what is Donald Trump's record on welfare? Well... Let's figure that out together. This is from ontheissues.org. It's a great website. Great website. Uh, this is his page on welfare and poverty, analyzing statements he said for several years, including when he ran the Reform Party back in 2000. Hmm. So here are some of the big things. In the 1970s, he opposed rent, rent control. In 1971, Trump moved into a Manhattan apartment on the 17th floor of a building on East 75th Street. He parked, okay. And basically, he was a critic of, wet, of rent control. So, right there. That's a welfare program Donald Trump was against. Or wouldn't rent control count as a welfare program? I mean, you know, it has the same goal as your average welfare program. So I count as a welfare program. I do. And I feel like that's a fair assessment. Later on, he sought to exclude welfare recipients from his residence. That's a direct quote from my side or from on the issues. Okay, so right there, he didn't want to deal with welfare recipients. 
he said that food stamps should be temporary in 2011. Which, okay, again, that's a position. I'm not saying I agree or disagree with that. I'm just saying that's what he believed. He talked about applying welfare to work to 76 other welfare programs. Again, this is from his 2011 book, Time to Get Tough. Which was written back when he was talking about running for president in 2012. Uh, anything else? Let's see. Hmm. Oh, and let's not forget, in the America We Deserve from 2000, he said that we should, I'm just going to read this directly, teenage mothers shouldn't get public assistance unless they jump through some pretty small hoops. Making them live in the groups of homes makes sense. A lot of these girls didn't have a father or full-time parents, but there are people, I think we can call them saints, who decided their lives to help, who dedicated their lives to helping kids like this, wherever they are, and whether they work out of a church, a temple, or some kind of other public facility, they deserve our support. Uh, the rest of that goes on to say we should restrict public assistance, like he said there. And he said small hoops, in all fairness. He wasn't talking about abolishing the program, but that would restrict some people from accessing it. And that's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, this president has a very similar view on welfare as Romney did. The only difference being, of course, that he won't outright call half the country moochers. That's it. That's a pretty low bar he has met it. This is the same president who, within his first year, cut Meals on Wheels funding. You guys remember that? One of his first acts, I think this was actually his first day in office, he had the um, Department of Housing and Urban Development, it's name blanked on me for a second there, uh, reverse a program or reverse some kind of funding, I forget the exact details, but it made it harder for poor people to get mortgages. At the end of the day, his welfare policy is virtually the same as Mitt Romney. So if he's going to act like some kind of saint on this, well, I'm sorry, no. At the end of the day, the average welfare user is going to be the same under President Romney, or under President Trump, as they would have been under President Romney. And I have no issue with saying that. And again, I'm not getting into the debate about what these programs are and whether or not they're good for our nation. That's a debate for a different day. However, the fact is, if you're going to sit there and act like Donald Trump is some kind of saint compared to Romney, you're just delusional. You're just delusional. All these Republicans bow to the same master, as far as I'm concerned. Every single Republican is the same. We don't even really need these primaries, in my opinion. The party should just pick a candidate, because they're all the same anyway. You think Jeb Bush would have really been different from Donald Trump? You think Ted Cruz would really be different? You think maybe George Pastel. George Pastel, the governor from New York, who I may be getting the name wrong of, would be somewhat different. He is a Rockefeller-esque Republican, after all. But no, you think it's different from, say, Mike Huckabee? No, they're virtually the same candidates. They are virtually the same candidates. That's why they all support each other. That is why they all support each other later on. Seriously. I mean, that's really what's going on here. If Trump wants to play this game, then I'm going to throw it back in his face. 
I, I think that's fair. Anyway, that's all for tonight. If you enjoy this episode, you'll probably enjoy my book, Ramblings of a Madman, Life as an Anarchist. Follow me on Twitter at one Follow me on Gab at Peaceful underscore Global underscore Ephraim. Follow me at Parler at Ephraim Josine. If you have any questions, comments, or just concerns, email them to me at PeacefulGlobalsReview at gmail.com. That's PeacefulGlobalsReview at gmail.com. Just name of the show at gmail.com. I'm Ephraim, and good night.